<laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> oh, what a blessed occasion to be to be here and celebrate the life and the legacy of Elder James Blackburn Sr. Amazing man of God. Amen. I mean, that should be a little louder than that. Amazing man of God. I'm telling you. Uh, I just want to share a few words here concerning um, just our love for Elder Blackburn. Um, I need your, your participation. There's a family. Y'all be ready. Y'all have to participate with me, okay? Y'all ready? Okay, Psalm 145 in verse 4 says, One generation shall praise your works to another and declare his mighty deeds. Uh, that's the first thing that came to my spirit when I heard of Elder Blackburn's passing. The first thing that came to my spirit was, One generation shall declare your works to another and declare your mighty deeds. Uh, God's intention has always been that his word will perpetuate throughout every generation. How does that happen? It takes intentional consistency from each one of us in our generation to do that, have a relationship with God, and to diligently teach it to our children. So, one generation, Elder James Blackburn, Miss Daisy Blackburn, we have uh, one of his brothers and one of his sisters. One generation has praised his works to another. Can that next generation please stand? That means his children and their spouses. One generation began to praise his works at the table. We heard these stories at the table. And you couldn't go outside. You couldn't go do anything else. 
Even those who came to date couldn't take them on a date until they got their biblical instructions. One generation was praising his works to another to make sure that you knew that these were some God people. And so we thank God for him passing the torch to you and how you grab the torch. And that's what it's about. And then this generation began to praise his works to another. Can their children stand? If you're their children, these who are standing, you just keep on standing if you're, you're my man. Is that okay? Come on. So we're talking about now Elder Blackburn's grandchildren. First generation grandchildren are standing. One generation, Elder and, and, and Mother Blackburn, uh, sister and brother, declared his works to another. Raised up children, some seed. And then that seed produced some more seed. This is the Bible working really well right here. And then this generation, we know that you are doing your part and being diligent to train up your children in the ways of God. Can that next generation please stand? These will be the great-grandchildren of Elder Blackburn, Miss Daisy Blackburn. This is not all of them, of course, but it's a good representation. One generation praising his works to another and declaring his mighty deeds has produced this. And now your charge that generation just stood up is to declare it to your children so now we ask that your children so be the great great grandchildren if you would please stand or if you're being held you know, someone raise them up all right now not only that but those who are attached to the family uh so if you're attached to that family won't you go ahead and stand come on to otis Miss Allen, you know, I mean, Miss 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 Jenkins, she ready to stand. <laughs> She'll knock you over the stand. You better get out the way. I don't blame her. This is a great representation of one generation loving God, serving God, doing their part, and passing it on to the next generations. Our job is to take it seriously, like the, as Elder would tell us. And, and carry it out. We'll have that relationship with God. And be diligent in our service unto God. And produce, reproduce, reproduce, reproduce. There should be no end to the goodness of God in this family. And we know that there will not be. Because of one generation. Y'all go ahead and have a seat, please. Amen. Let's give God a hand praise for seeing this, these generations passing on. My last thing I would like to say is that Elder Blackburn and, and Miss Daisy... Uh, were just amazing to us. Um, they touched all of our lives, and they touched my life in a specific way. 2003, uh, my father had passed away. Um, younger than I would want him to. Uh, 2005, my mother passed away. Um, and so I was feeling a little sorrow about that, of course. Came back home, and the Blackburn said, we need to talk to you. And so they said that, what did you do? You better get over there. And so we went and we had dinner with them and the, the pastors were there and they sat down and, you know, the mom gives you that stern look. Now, I need you to listen to this. And I'm serious about this, but I need you to listen, Pastor Burroughs. I need you to listen. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. From this day forward, Elder Blackburn and I are your parents. I said, what? What you say? 
It wasn't something we discussed. It wasn't something we talked about. But God put it upon their hearts to know that we, at that point, I needed, you know, that part in my life. And I, I honor them for that. They didn't have to do that. Um, and from that point, they were mom and dad to me as well. They could take us all in, right? <laughs> and so I just thank God for that. That shows me the true love of God that they had for not just their natural family, their immediate family, but their extended family, the church family, anyone in the community family. If they saw you, they loved you. And so thank you, Dad. Thank you, Mom, for living a life well-lived, and you declared in your generation, and we're going to keep on declaring it as well. Thank God for that. Amen. So good afternoon. My name is Adele Whitehead. I bring you greetings. Well, first, give an honor to God who's the head of my life. Um, I bring you greetings from Holy Temple Church of God in Christ. And I say that because on March 1st, those two houses of worship connected. And Mom and Pop Blackburn was a part of that. They didn't have to come to my wedding in Spokane, Washington. They didn't have to come and pray for her union in 2004 but they did because they took me under their wings and accepted me as part of this family so when I think of them and I think about what they've done in my life for the past good lord 19 almost 20 years I honor mom Blackburn because when they would call, when we would call, they always had that moment where they taught and corrected and disciplined. And y'all know, y'all was all there. So when I think of Pop Blackburn, when I was just asked, something came to me and a way to honor him and our lives. I'm going to read this poem to all of you because we're a part of his dash. We are a part of his dash. And so the name of this poem is The Dash, and it was written by Linda Ellis, and it's you can Google it. And so I'm going to read it. It just says, I read of a man who stood to speak at a funeral of a friend, Dad. He is referred, he referred to the dates of the tombstone, 1931, to 2022, from the beginning to the end. And the poem says, he noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represented all the time they spent alive on earth and now only those who loved them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard are things you'd like to change for you never know how much time is left. 
that can still be rearranged. To be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash dash might only last for a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you lived your dash? So I say that poem in honor of Pop Blackburn and in honor of Mother Blackburn, because we're their dash, they've been parted, they have lived, and they gave. So it's now time for us to receive and to give. Amen. So, <laughs> Pop was my dad. Jimmy thought he was the only male in the family. But um, at first it was Linda. Nine months later it came me. <laughs> From a Sarakin family, okay. <laughs> then uh, Sharon and then Jimmy. Okay, but I just thank God for Pop and Mom taking me in over 20-something years ago. They loved me. They called me. I used to work with Dad on his lawnmower service. Um, we did a lot of things together. Um, they never forgot about me. Even when I left, Mom would always be calling me, seeing how I was doing. I would call her and... It was one thing that they always said at the end, we love you. And I take that seriously. And I just want you to know that I love mom and dad. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Willie Daniels, affectionately known as Sonny. I'm one of the brothers as well. (laughs) So mom and dad had a lot of kids. (laughs) Well, 46 years ago, I was a young kid at the age of 19, and I moved from uh, Southern California over to Denver, Colorado. And um, my very first experiences of meeting mom and dad, uh, my, I went to a uh, church in Southern California, Prim AME, and my pastor, uh, he had referred me over to Campbell AME Church over in, Den- in Denver. And so um, when I first got there, uh, I met Jimmy and then uh, mom and dad. And so I was a young 19-year-old kid going to college in uh, Colorado. And one day, uh, Jimmy said, hey, I want to be your roommate. And so uh, mom and dad says, oh, we're going to go over and check him out. (laughs) 
So they came over to my house, and the first thing, uh, you know, what mom did is, you know, they kind of looked through my house, and they saw I had uh, one chair, and I had a little small bed, and I had a, a table that I rested my television on, and that table was made up of cinder blocks. And I put a little piece of plywood on top of that and put a blanket over it, and that was my table in my living room. So mom walked in, and the first thing she did is she opened up the refrigerator, and she looked in there, and she saw a jug of water. And that was all I had in my refrigerator. And mom says, I want you to come by and see me. She worked over at the Park Hill Community Center over in Park Hill in Denver. And the very next day, I go over there, and she had two boxes of groceries in there for me. <laughs> so I, I was immediately adopted into the family. Mom and Dad Blackburn, they took me under their, their wing. And, you know, here it is 46 years later, and I'm still part of the family. You know, we're, we're here to celebrate the life of a great man, in my opinion. You know, I have my own mother and father. They lived in Southern California, nine brothers and sisters. And at the same time, I had my family here in Denver, Linda, Sharon, Jimmy, Brent, David, and Gina, all of the rest of you have been my family ever since then. My wife, Perezza, in the back, and um, we would go by and see mom and dad. And the moment we walk in the house, they would start, here come Willie and Preza. <laughs> and they would start laughing, and we would, we would have a good time. We would sit there and talk for hours and hours and hours. And they, in turn, when we had our family and start raising Danielle and Dana, they were the grandparents of Danielle and Dana. They raised both of them from the time uh, both of them were born. And so, so mom and dad, and, and I remember every time we would go and Jim would be running, all right, James, let's go. It's time to go, James. <laughs> mom would say that. And, and, and so, so I sit back and I think about it, and mom passed away last year, literally less than a year ago. And I think about it, and I'm thinking, Okay, James, it's time to go. <laughs> so, so he he, so he he has joined her. He has joined her, and they're looking down upon all of us, and they got a smile on their face. You know, they're proud of of what the family has become, and the legacy. Looking at the children, the grandchildren, the great grandchildren, and the great great grandchildren. And they're proud. And I'm happy to be a part of the family, the Blackburn family. Because, like I said, in 1976, I moved to Colorado. And I was a young kid. And they just took me out of the goodness of their heart, under their wing, and made me part of their family. And I thank them for that. And I thank Mom and Dad Blackburn, Daisy and Jim, as my, my parents. Thank you. Thank the Lord. 
bless the Lord. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. I'm trying to get through this without. Yes. Whew. My grandfather. I love my grandfather so much. Yes. I love my grandparents. And I was just grateful that, you know, I wanted to get out here so bad um, before he took his rest. But I'm so grateful that a few days before um, I got to FaceTime him with Dejan. And I remember my dad was trying to say, um, you know, this is Dejan, this is Lynette. And grand granddad was like, I know who they are. I know Dejan, I know that. <laughs> And it just, you know, warmed my heart, you know. And, uh, you know, my biggest thing, I used to call my granddad my big bear stained bear um, because of his hands. And granddad would do this thing, you know, when he called you to talk to you or something, he would grab you with both of them hands, and he put one, you know, on top. And you know that when he grabs your hand like that, just surrender. <laughs> just just, just a completely surrender and say yes. Um, he just left such a legacy for us. And um, I'm going to say this poem, and then we're going to sing Thank You, Lord. One thing that with my grandparents, we never had an occasion. If they were there, at the end of the occasion, we were going to sing. We were going to worship, you know. And that's something, like, even for my family, we just worship. And that is something that he has left for me that is very dear. This is called Grandfather. You can play. Thank you. Help me out a little bit. <laughs> grandfather. Our grandfather kept a garden, a garden of the heart. He planted all the good things that gave our lives their start. He turned us to the sunshine and encouraged us to dream, fostering and nurturing the seeds of self-esteem. And when the winds and rain came, he protected us enough but not too much because he knew we would stand up strong and tough. His constant good example always taught us right from wrong, markers for a pathway that will last a lifetime long. We are a grandfather's garden. We are his legacy. Now it's our turn to tend the garden. We'll make you proud. You'll see. We love you, Granddad. Amen. Hallelujah. Everybody can stand up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Please sing with me, guys. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. You've been so good. You've been so good. You've been so good. Oh, 
I just want to thank you, Lord. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Oh, you've been so good. You've been so You've been so I'm just going to take this moment to talk about my grandfather's legacy. (laughs) I've been married for five years now, (laughs) and I'm just so grateful that I had that example. (laughs) I didn't get my license until like three years into my marriage. I was like 22. (laughs) And a part of it was that my husband saw that my grandfather took such good care of my great-grandmother. And he's like, hey, if she's not driving, babe, take your time. (laughs) And I just think that so much because my husband, if you guys don't know him, he's a hardworking man, just like my great-grandfather. That's all he does. And I'm just so grateful that we had that example in times where there was, like, almost none. (laughs) He was, they were just a strong foundation. I'm just so grateful. (laughs) I'm just so grateful that he was there for us because <laughs> that's the only way that we're ever going to be here. That's the only way that we he has a legacy of three great, great, wonderful grandchildren. It's because of them. And I'm just so grateful. <laughs> and I just want to thank you guys for being here to honor him today and just to see the legacy and to see the blessing this is why we say we're thankful this is why we say that we're he's so good because god has put an anointing on our family and thank you um i only knew my great-grandparents about seven years but even in me knowing them like i loved them (laughs) i loved them my grandma daisy She's the nicest woman you ever gonna meet in your whole life. Very stern, but she's very nice. <laughs> very stern, very nice. Um, my granddad James, I would just love going over his house and just talking to him. Um, we would sit down. I remember one time he had just got out the hospital, and so I had went back to his room talking to him for a little bit. But he was so down, it hurt my heart to see him like that. And so I went to the living room talking to my grandma Daisy for a little bit. We just in there chopping. We could talk about God for hours. <laughs> and so we just in there chopping up about God. But I remember Granddad James, he wasn't even supposed to get out the bed. But just because he just loved God so much and he just heard us talking about God, he got out the bed, came in there. He was like, oh, y'all ain't going to miss me with this talk. <laughs> like, and I just remember just how much he loved God. And I don't know, it was almost just like kindred spirits. Like I would say something about God. He's like, where you get that from? And I'm like, I don't know, I was talking to God. <laughs> and he'd be like, look at my journal. He'd be flipping through his journal, showing me stuff that he'd be thinking about. And I don't know, even in that, it was just, 
it left such a big impact on me just about legacy, just about writing things down. Like, it's like once somebody's gone, what do you have from them? I remember I was even talking to my dad. I was like, Dad, if anything, write write what you think. Like, I want your words. Like, and Elder Black, I'm sorry, Granddad James, he was big on the word. And so I thank him for that. And um, even in us talking, like, I don't know. I know where his heart was. And I know he wants to be with the Lord, like wants to be with the Lord. <laughs> as much as we love everybody here and it's like our heart longs to be with God. And so it's not some solemn, sad thing. Like he's exactly where he wants to be. And so if y'all don't mind, I'm going to sing this little song right quick. <laughs> A little song just because. It's the only song I think of whenever I think of him and my grandma David. And so I sing it. Hmm. Said, steal away. Said, steal away. Steal away to Jesus. Steal away. Steal away home. I ain't got long to stay here. And my Lord, he calls me, he calls me by the thunder, the trumpet sounds within my soul, we ain't got long to stay here, still away, still away, still away to Jesus, still away, still away home. I ain't got long to stay here. Say green trees are bending, poor sinners stand a trembling. The trumpet sounds within my soul. We ain't got long to stay here. Still away, still away, still away to Jesus. Still away, still away home. We ain't got long to stay here. Y'all can hear me. Um, bear with me. This ain't my thing. But um, I would say that I'm just honored to be able to talk about my father. Like, I stay here, and I, and I appreciate everybody in this place. But it's like the love that he was able to give every last one of us. I know at times, like, when I was going, I felt like I was his favorite. You know, and I look at you guys. <laughs> but they just, they had a way of making us all feel special. Yeah, like. Yeah. We weren't just one in the crowd. We were different. We mattered. And I love him for that. You know, I love him for what he's been to everyone in y'all's lives. You know, um, I just remember being young. Uh, I have so many favorite memories of my grandfather. But he, he worked in this carpet factory. I remember the first time my mom took us to Denver and taking us to his factory. And I, my grandfather was a superhero. Like, he was one of the biggest men in the world. When I was younger, like, I used to remember watching him pick up these big old rolls of carpet and just throwing them on his shoulder and moving around. I was like, man, if I was ever that big, I'm going to the NFL. <laughs> like, he, he was amazing, you know, and then it's just, and then as I grew in life and I 
got to know him and I became a man and just all the times that he was there and all the stuff that he was able to impart to me, like a, a wealth of wisdom that I can always tap. You know, we hear my grandma, they always had that time and they always had that word and always went back to God. And that he instilled a work ethic in all of us that, you know, you're not going to be lazy. You know, you're not going to take the easy way, you know, full eight hour days, but you do it for your family. And that's the example that he lived out in front of me. He's going to take care of my grandma. He's going to take care of his kids. That's the type of man we should be, you know, and I love that in my life I have great examples. Amen. You know, like great examples of men who are strong and they know the word of God. Not only do they know the word of God, that they walk it out. Not just here in the church when everybody's watching, but at home when they had every reason, every excuse, and every avenue to cheat. They didn't, you know, and as I move on in life, it's like, I don't got an excuse. You know, I, I've seen it walked out. You know what I'm saying? I've seen people, like, take the word of God and take it to the fullest. And that's the example I have. And, like, his legacy is a beautiful legacy. Think about it, feel like my grandfather gave us. He gave us family and he gave us God. And those two things make it possible to navigate this world. You know, it's like I feel blessed to have a family I have. It's, just, it's given me the opportunity to take risks and do different things. I'll never be homeless. I got too many houses I can be. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm just being honest. Like, I can't fail. You know, there's people in the world who don't have that. You know, I can take any risks. I can fail. I always got a place in my head. Like, I always got people who are going to love me. Like, I always got a new starting point. And he gave me God that, you know, no matter what, I got someone on my side. You know, I, I got that cheat card that if I do it by his way and by his path, there's no way it won't be successful. And that's the things that my grandfather taught me and he's instilled in me and I love him for that. And, you know, it's just, I just think in this life, when she talked about that dash and when you read his eulogy and you're talking about a life worth celebrating, this really was a man who lived a life that was worth celebrating. And there's not a lot of people, a lot of us who really can say that, that our life there's too much junk and too much clutter, but he was a man who was focused and determined, and he knew that there was a God in heaven, and this was going to come to an end. And only things that we do for Christ will last, you know. And and I thank God for that, you know. I thank God for that. That that's what's in my family, and that's what He's instilled in us, and that's where it began. And for Him, I will always give one for that. I will never forget Him or my grandmother. I thank them for what they've imparted in me and in my life, and I thank. You know, I appreciate that I was able to share this man with all of us. Like, I would have kept him to myself, really. But <laughs> he imparted so much. But I love it, though, because as even y'all, the people who are in media and family, y'all walk out and y'all get the chance and opportunity to live his legacy, to live those things, and he's going to live on forever through that. You know, like, and I thank God for that. And I just appreciate him. He's an awesome man. I mean, I just hope that when my time comes and people look back at me and the life I lived and my action what was truly important that if they look at me anything like I look at my grandfather and I, I've accomplished my goal. You know, like I just want to live out that example and I love him and I appreciate him for that and I appreciate y'all for being here to celebrate with me. Thank you. turning off the mic man um so i'm gonna make some of y'all jealous because i definitely was his favorite um for sure it's not even close appreciate all the other contenders but this race is over okay 
Um, so growing up with Grandpa James, I got a different version than obviously his children got and his and his grandchildren got. I got the version that um, I wouldn't say was watered down, but was more understanding. Okay, for instance, um, sixteen years ago, I was sixteen. Um, was riding around. Uh, Grandpa James had. Uh, he told me he's like, listen, hey, we got a lawn to cut. Come on. And I used to love it, man. I used to love it. Um, and, and then he pulled up to the lawn. It's the one off of Fort Nugent, the uh, the big old house, the plantation house that got like four acres you got to cut. I said, oh, okay. So uh, he's coming to pick me up. And we uh, on the way there, I was like, I was trying to be slick. You know, I'm 16. I'm trying to see what I can get away with and what I can't. So I turned uh, the dial because he had on Spirit 105.3 or something. Always, always in the same six songs. Um, right? And I tried. I was like. Let me try real quick. So I cut the dial to Cube 93. You know what I'm saying? If y'all know what Cube 93 is, this is a secular, uh, you know, station out here. I'm, I'm 16. I'm like, yeah, let me try it. And he said a phrase to me for the first time that I've heard him say to me many times. He said, you know what? He said just like that. He said, you know what? And he didn't say it like, you didn't, I didn't feel the malice. I felt the curiosity in that. You know what? And that you know what has shaped so many things in my life. You know what? With curiosity, what does it do? Did I catch y'all's attention when I said, you know what? Because when I say, you know what, what's your response? What? what? Right. So you, I have your attention. He had my attention, right? And not only that, he had the moment to pause and really think, should I knock this boy out for touching my radio? Because <laughs> by all means, he definitely could have. As my mother was saying, he had the hands to do it, right? And I was defenseless. It was his car. It was, I was on his time. He's the elder in the, in the relationship. He's the authority, right? But he took that time to impart some wisdom into me. Um, so here we go. I ain't going to preach at y'all, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so I took three things away from that's this statement. You know what? The statement, um, you know, it's, you say it out loud. However, it's for both the speaker and the listener. I'm going to speak to the speaker. The speaker, it gives you a moment to really examine the situation. You know what? Just pause. Think about it. Should I knock this boy out or should I talk to him? He took that moment to impart on me. He's like, you know what? How about this, son? He says, on the way there, you can listen to Yo Cube 93. But on the way back, we're going to listen to my music. I'm 16. I'm like, Yes. Of course, of course. I thought I won. I thought, you know what I mean? I'm like, yes, of course. That is a deal that I would be foolish to not take. However, comma, in that, uh, you know, just in that compromise, he's teaching me a lesson, right? Don't be so sure of yourself that you can't compromise with anyone, right? He taught me a lesson. I thought I was getting over. I'm like, man, and I know for a fact that some of the songs I was playing, he wasn't too happy about. You know, he's like, what? A couple of times he was looking at me like, boy, what are you listening to? And that was 16 years ago. I don't even know what they listen to nowadays. Right? But, but he took that time to, you know, and I'm like, I couldn't even enjoy it. I ain't gonna lie to y'all. I couldn't even enjoy the songs because I'm awkward. I'm like, man, this is kind of awkward, man. He kind of looking at me like, boy, what, what is this? Right? Um, but that compromise that he showed me, you know, again, going back to that, he had the power in his car to do whatever he wanted to do. He was the authority in that situation. However, he met me at my level. Right. And uh, I'll never forget that. And so the uh, the third part 
about that is really just enjoying the ride, right? Because here it is 16 years later, and I still vividly remember, like, I almost can smell the gasoline from the, you know what I mean, from the lawnmowers. I can smell the the grass that was finna go cut. Like, I can, it's vivid. That memory will live on with me forever, right? And that was 16 years ago. Like that. But I'm, but I still remember it. So, so I tell you guys to enjoy the ride because obviously, like the the dash, that was beautiful. The dash, it's very short. It's you know what you do in between that. Enjoy the ride. Don't take yourself too seriously that you can't be down here to to bring somebody up with you, right? I learned so much from my grandpa James. Um, you know, just looking back, I know that the way that he met the Lord was what a lot, I'd say 98% of people would pray for. You know, he got to go into sleep, out of pain. You know what I'm saying? He has a huge legacy who's touching so many other people. He got to see his, his daughter marry a preacher man and touch so many people. I mean, we got people all the way from the East Coast calling in. You know what I'm saying? Um Really, there's there's no monetarily monetary uh, value you can put on just spending an hour with Grandpa James, just an hour, just ten minutes, you know, because he's he gonna talk. If it's ten minutes, he gonna give you he gonna talk eight minutes. <laughs> the other two minutes is tell him what your name is and where you're from, and then okay, let me take the rest, right? <laughs> but but you couldn't you couldn't buy that man for for nothing, and uh, you know, just Grandma Daisy as well. I know that they are so happy. They're just so happy together. If I can do half and reach half of the things that he's done, I'd be a blessed man. So everybody, for real, for real, if you find yourself taking yourself too seriously, just really just like, you know, you're, you're too like that, cut on Cube 93 on the way there and Spirit 105.3 on the way back. I want to I want to take a moment to introduce Eddie and Annabelle West. Um, if you would like to come up and speak, that'd be she said. Oh, okay. She said, "Not me." Amen. Um, I'm not moving quite as fast as I used to. <laughs> uh, James was a great brother, and I listened to all this, the uh, accolades that have been given so far, and he deserved every one of them. Uh, however, I knew James a little before some of all this. <laughs> <laughs> And so, uh, I'd like to take you back to high school. <laughs> okay. Uh, James was a outstanding football player. He was the heart of the team. He was five years ahead of me, although I was, I remember going to see him play football. And all you could hear uh, on the radios was uh, Blackburn up the middle for seven <laughs> yards. Blackburn, 
off tackle for 10 yards. Blackburn around in for a touchdown. You know, I said, do anybody else play on that team? <laughs> but but uh, he, uh, he, uh, he, he was a wonderful brother. He, he left and went, he was, he was given a scholarship to Wichita State University for football and he went down there and he was there for a couple of months and was called into the army and uh, went to Korea as you've heard. And uh, when he came back, he was a different person. I mean, before he, before the Korean incident, he was kind of a hard one to handle. <laughs> <laughs> but when he came back, he was like a preacher. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I said, who is he? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, he, he would sit down and talk to me and tell me about the things that happened over there. He, he wouldn't talk about it very much, but when he was ready, he would sit and talk for hours, and he would explain and, sh and tell me things that you would say, well, how in the world is he still alive? Mm. You know, and uh, so <laughs> it, it was funny because before he left, he was dating some girl, and, and uh, <laughs> uh, they were, uh, everybody expected them to get married. And when he came back, he swooped into town and grabbed uh, a little girl named Daisy Floyd, <laughs> 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 got married, and left. Mm. <laughs> 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 I said, where did that come from? Uh, but uh, he, he went ahead, and he, that's when he went to Denver. And I was about ready to go to college at that time, and uh, you know he was a hard-working guy, and he did all these jobs that, to me, were a little bit too hard. And uh, so I said, I'm going to go to college. <laughs> and so that's what I did. I went he because he inspired me to go to college, so I wouldn't have to work as hard as he did. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, he, uh, I have to kind of check my notes here. Uh, yeah, I, when uh, he married Daisy, I, I, I felt like this is, this is the reason why he has this legacy and all these wonderful people. Because Daisy was the prettiest girl in town. <laughs> and I couldn't figure out how he came and got her that fast. <laughs> Although I was so far behind him, I had no chance anyway. <laughs> but uh, I loved James, and uh, he he was uh, he had a problem with sleeping. It was a, it was a disease. I mean, he would he would be eating dinner, and all of a sudden he'd be asleep. And so they had him on. And he he went through that and and got better and so he used to come to Osawatomie from uh, Denver and to visit and when he he said well I'm getting ready to go back and I said well I'll go back with you it's summertime and I'll go back and 
And uh, he said, okay, uh, he said, you can drive the first leg and then I'll take over. I said, okay. So uh, I started off driving and pretty soon he woke up and he said, all right. He said, I'll take the second leg. I said, yes, you ought to win Denver now. <laughs> <laughs> Eight and a half hours. <laughs> but I, I will miss him dearly. Uh, we've been talking here recently on the phone. Um, I'm very sad that I wasn't able to get back to see him, but I was going through some things myself. Uh, I lost my wife within the last few months. And uh, he was very, he loved date my, 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 my wife. And uh, <coughs> him and Daisy and, and she would sit and talk, and we'd all sit and talk for hours. And uh, it was just wonderful for me to look at him and say, that's my big brother. Mm -hmm. You know, and these are some of the things that he's done. And this is the way that I need to live my life. And it was just an ins inspiration to me. And uh, I just hope to see him someday. And I'm sure he's up there with Daisy and Celeste, my wife, and all the rest of them just having a ball. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you very much. My name is Brent Wheeler. I'm married to one of his beautiful daughters, Sharon <laughs> Blackburn, and uh, I'm his uh, son-in-law. And so what I, uh, I guess I'd say something totally different, totally different, because granddad, as he is to most of you, uh, a good friend to most of you, a brother. You know, I grew up in Denver, Colorado, on the other church around the corner. And I never thought that I would be in the place that I am now, uh, talking and being a part of this family. Uh, this family is a very unique family. And uh, Dad is very unique. Take Dad in Denver, Colorado, on the other story, he's a personality. He was a great spiritual personality. When I knew of Mr. Blackburn, uh, my mother would used to take me to church at a different church, uh, Central Baptist or any church in town. Whatever quartet, Dad's Blackburn, their group would be singing, we would go and that church would be full of people. It would be packed. I remember getting there just, we got there just a little bit late. My mom was a personality too. <laughs> that church was full, people standing outside. But she managed to get me inside. And uh, we sat you know, a few, few rows back watching the male quartet from Campbell uh, Moyle. And I just remember Mr. Blackburn as a little boy. And I was six years old. 
and growing on up. And that would happen for years through Denver as I would continue to grow up. And you guys know I can't sing. <laughs> so I, didn't, I went there to enjoy them singing and uh, listening to them, but they also had a saxophone player. So I said, <laughs> if I can't sing like uh, Dad, well, I learned how to play the saxophone. But I just want you to know the legacy that he has here and the personality that he had back in Denver was very amazing. He reached, he touched a lot of people. He uh, taught a lot of young men there in Denver by, by example. Yeah, yeah I wasn't in the family, you just see uh, the men that came from that quartet and what they were doing um, was very influential to the African-American men that grew up in that community. And so I want to share that with you, let you know he's a great man. And I knew him before I knew he had two daughters <laughs> and a son. <laughs> and then I, uh, we made it into the, I made it into the family, and I've been blessed ever since by dad and mom, Mom Daisy. And we went through the same process. When my mom died, uh, mom said, I'm your mother now. And, and, uh, and that's just the way they are. Very loving family. So at this time, I'm going to play a song that he enjoyed. And it's even before my time. But we grew up with it. And uh, his, his eye is on the sparrow.
Praise the Lord. A lot has been said. Now it's my turn. And I can spend the rest of the day talking about our beloved James Robert Blackburn Sr. A man I would have never dreamed that I would be speaking at his home going. A man that I loved and yet love with all my heart. But these last few months, actually over the last two and a half years, we have spent a lot of time together. And I think, you know, after being in their life for the last 50 years, from the time I began dating his daughter until now, it's been a journey. One of, as you've heard from many, of great learning. Amen. You can't be around the Blackburns without learning something. You know, even as we were preparing for his arrangements, you know, I learned even more about him. That his father was named James Blackburn. And I looked, and you know, we were talking about with Jimmy. We looked and said, well, wait a minute. He was James. But then he couldn't have been senior because his dad would have been senior. But the interesting thing is with dad, he was always make sure you put that senior on there. And so Jimmy's like, well, that makes me the third, not junior. I said, yeah, uh, technically. You know, but we don't know the reason. You know, but I, I, I just think about the fact that he's passed down so much to so many for so long that he did it effortlessly. You know, he was a, you know, it's, it's, you know as you write in the eulogy of the, the obituary, as I put it in there, you know, he was a master, you know, in his own right of impartation. You know, even through his discipline, you know, his sternness, Fortified with love, you know, and direction. He didn't just throw you under the bus and leave you there. You know, but he would go in there with you. You know, I could I could tell you so many stories, amen, you know, about dad and our exploits. Our, from our beginning, which was kind of rough. <laughs> you know, you got this you know, little young hoodlum coming trying to date your daughter. Don't know nothing about church, you know. And, yeah, we had we had some times together. Sometime in Pastor Lynn, she's not in here, so I can tell you all this. You know. Sometime we would get together and she didn't want to go home. You know, so we'd be sometime parked around the block from the house and I'm trying to oh, sound the chair, you know what I'm talking about. You know, and, and you know, you're after her curfew, so the, the dad patrol hits the road. Searching, where is she at? Where they at? Where they at? You know, it's a good father, right? There's one time we were sitting just around the block. And I'm saying, I need to go and get you home. You know, she don't go home. She just loved me so much. You know, she don't go home. 
had a rat. But I look up. See, don't y'all tell her this. But I look up and I see that blue Monaco. Brent, remember that car? That blue Monaco coming down the road. I said, okay. Well, I'm sitting in my little Mustang. And he pulls over in front of us. I said, okay, it's about to be on now. It's about to get, it's about to get lit. You know? He gets out the car, walks over, opens her door and helps her out the car. And he leans over into the car and says, what you need is a good whooping. And you know, me being the arrogant young man that I was at the time, I looked at him and said, I got all night. <laughs> and he just like, boy, and went on and left. You know, that's just some of the beginnings that we had. You know. But needless to say, I won over. You know, he's, he, he was doing what a good father would do, Amen. you know, and I was doing what a little hoodlum would do, <laughs> you know, but him making me come and sit down, as we were talking about earlier, I was one of the ones that had to sit through Bible study before I could take his daughter on a date, right. and then we still had to be back early. Man, what in the world? You know, but I, I, I honestly counted the privilege, man, to, to be a part of his life and to have had him a part of my life. You know, I did not have my father active in my life after about the age of seventeen, and even before then, he was kind of here and there in absence. You know, so you know, mom and dad, they just kind of filled in that whole role. You know, and, and needless to say, Devante got things wrong. <laughs> He didn't know him long enough to be the favorite. <laughs> See, I think I filled that role even before Dad realized I filled that role. Amen. In these last few months together, amen, there was times that I spent more time with him than I did with my wife. You know, and you know, it's only by the grace of God, you know, that I, I counted the privilege to have been able to be a part of ushering him into. Into, into the kingdom, you know, and just allowing God. And they, I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, just take a moment to, to mention my brother Otis. You know, him and Irene during these last few months, you know, really, really, truly came alongside and stepped in and, you know, helped us out as we were going. Things were getting in more and more intense, the need and, the, you know, of dad's care and, you know, we thought, you know, I thought I had a lot going on before mom passed, but when mom passed, you know, now we took over all the cleaning, the cooking, and all the per person, everything. So when they stepped in and, you know, said, what can we do to help, you know, and they began to take certain days, and if we needed to go to an appointment or anything like that, they were right there. You know, Dad didn't have to miss a beat, you know, and I, I truly, my heart truly is so grateful to what they did, and even for the family from Denver. You know, coming out at strategic times, amen, and allowing us to be able to do things, amen. Every, every person, that, you know, just stepped in and 
you know, it was it was just a blessing. It truly was. And I thank God because, you know, we had, we all got to spend some time with him, you know, personal time. And that, you know, it really meant a lot. You know, and I think about, you know, all the grandchildren. One one evening here about a couple of weeks ago, you know, when he was struggling, he was going through a lot of pain. He looked at me and said, just, just, just erase me. And I looked him in his eye and said, Dad, I can't do that. We can't erase you because if I erase you, I got to erase your three children. And I got to erase their children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and your great-great-grandchildren. All of us would disappear if I erased you. It all goes back to him. And I think about, you know, how he used to tell the story. And my wife had told me a couple, you know, times how that, you know, it began one evening when he had some friends over, drinking and playing cards, and she was in the crib. That's before Jimmy and Sharon showed up. And he walked in the room and he looked at his baby girl, and he told her this later, obviously, he looked at his baby girl and said, is this what I'm going to pass down to my daughter? And that night he made a decision to change his life. You know, and so he would tell the story about his, his godfather. And this is going back to as Pastor Fred talked about that passing down, that passing down. But he remember how his godfather would he'd get up in the morning, his godfather would be in the Bible. And he was a young man. And the evening his godfather would be in the Bible. He said, There'd be something about that Bible. You know, and the pass down that and when he made that decision, he was a man that didn't turn back. Yes. He made a decision, amen, and that decision has brought us to this day, you know, to be able to stand and honor a man, and as you know, as has been said so well today, that a, a, a life worth honoring, a life well lived, you know, and I, I too pray that those words can be said over my life, you know, when the time comes that, you know, I, I make my exit from this this body and in preparation for meeting the Lord, I, I pray that it can be said that, you know, I've lived a life and left a legacy worth talking about, you know, worth remembering, worth implement. I mean, you know, following and exemplifying a, a, a lifestyle that somebody would want to live, you know, and that's the challenge that we have, amen, because we live in this world, and there's so many things pulling us, and so many things calling our name. Amen. We live in an age, you know, where there's so much available information and opportunity, and you know, the rules are being bent and changed and broken, you know, and cast to the side. And we we live in a world that, you know, if it feels good, do it. And if everybody anybody agrees with you, it's okay. We live in a world that has no boundaries and no borders anymore. And that's why we need men like James Blackburn. That's why we need mothers like Miss Daisy, who's yet in my heart. We, we need those that are going to stand on the word no matter what goes on around them. They're not going to let down or, or, or compromise for something that goes against their core values and their core beliefs and those values and beliefs are not ground in their feelings and their opinions and their attitude, but it's ground in the word of God. 
And sometimes, I, you know, one of my favorite Bible verses is, you know, in Psalm 15, where it says that a man that swears to it hurt and changes not. Sometimes you got to stand when it's painful. You got to stand when they turn around and walk away from you because you're making a stand. We can't say, oh, well, it's all right. No, because if it doesn't line up to his word, it's not all right. No matter how I feel about it. So we got to make that decision. So just bow your heads with me for me. I want to just share with you a, thing, a few things from the word. Father, in the name of Jesus. We give you glory. We thank you. We humbly thank you, Lord, that you've allowed us to be touched by one of your generals. One that you set in this earth, God, and in, when you got his attention, God, he gave you 100%. So we thank you for it, Lord. And let us be changed because of the example that was set before us. Jesus' name we pray. You know, James Blackburn was not infallible. You know, and, you know, when you eulogize somebody, you know, you talk about all the goodness and the accolades and, you know, all the things that they did. And, you know, but like all of us, he was fallible. But the one thing that I admired about that was that if he found or when he came to realize he was off, he was quick find his center again even in these last months you know in his pain you know he would he would get agitated and begin to you know and I said dad whoa 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 wait a minute and bring him back to the center and I said remember who you are because the pain begins to talk you know and I said remember who you are and then he'll look at me and he said you're right I'm sorry just like that just like that. No, no, no. You quick. You're right. I'm sorry. One time I talk, I gotta remind you, the man of God, that you are. I know your body's hurting. I know you. I told him. I said, I know your pain is speaking right now. I understand it. I'm not mad at you, but I'm gonna. I want to help you. You know, and that's the. You know, we gotta have that kind of relationship one with another. With our husbands, our wives, our children, our parents. Sometimes we gotta. Help each other get refocused on the things that really matter, amen. Because like, like Dad, you're going to lay down that, that body. And when it comes time, amen, when next he opens his eyes, he's going to be seeing the Lord. If I want to hear, and I know you want to hear, well done. <laughs> My good and what? Faithful servant. Now, that's what God is looking for, faithful servants. And I would say, in all that I know about James Blackburn, if he was a faithful servant, so as we come to celebrate him, we, we cannot do it without celebrating the God that changed him. The God that directed him, the God that gave him a foundation, that, that taught him through his word and by his spirit how to live and how to love, you know, without exception. That dealt with a lot of injustices in his life. You know, and I think one of the ones that bothered me the most was because of his service, you know, in the, in the Korean War in the Army. And yet, he, he tells us the story about when he came back, 
and he was with some of his fellow soldiers and they went to a restaurant to eat and they were all in uniform. And they let everybody in but him. So the rest of them refused to go in because they realized that's our brother. You know, and it comes to a time, amen, when we, we as, a, as a people, as a, as a generation, we got to come to a place to realize that that's my brother. He might be Asian, he might be Korean, he might be black. I mean, what, no matter what, he, that's my brother. You know, because that's, that's the way, in spite of the injustices that he suffered, he still loved on everybody. He had that mind, amen, that you know what? That's why he talked about the love so much. You know, I mean, we could have preached on love every Sunday. And, and dad would have been happy. <laughs> he would have been happy, man. And one of his other verses that he loved is, you know, if any is sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. You know, cause I mean, so, you know, he's always, his, his, his go-to was the word. You know, so we, we thank God for that example that he set before us. But, you know, one of the things I want to dig into a little bit, because I could, I could spend a lot of time talking about the change that he, he helped bring about in my life. Because even when I married his daughter, I was still a heathen. <laughs> but God had other plans. You know, and thank God for those plans. But, you know, you know the other night, you know, when Dad passed away, Kind of just caught us off guard. There's many times I went in the room expecting to find him gone. But that particular night, I did not expect him to be gone. You know, but when he passed away, several of the family members came over to comfort us, which was really a blessing. You know, because, you know, at that moment, you know, I'm, I'm doing all I can, even now, to still hold it together. You know, but as he came, they came over and my grandson said something as he was standing in the door and he was looking on his, his godfather's body, I mean his grandfather's body. And he said, this just don't make no sense. You know, I, I, and, and both myself and, and, and Linda began to think about those words individually. You know, in his mind, you know, Elias was just looking and said, it just doesn't make no sense. You know, you're trying to reconcile it as a young man and, you know, as a, as, a, as a person, period. But you're trying to reconcile this life, this life that we live in, and, and it don't make no sense. We, we're born and we live and we, we do all these things and, and, and then we die and then what? I mean, all that... As, as my wife was saying, he wanted to make sure he had something left because he even knew, I can't take nothing with me. You know, all the pats on the back are over. You know, the someone else is going to drive the car. Someone else is going to live in the house. Someone else is going to spend the money. Someone else is going to wear the clothes if you put them in the secondhand store. Somebody else is going to get the benefit of all those things we scratch for and we, we, we struggle and we strive after all those things if we don't get an understanding of what it is that we're really going through. Why that we're still here. You know, it just, it don't make no sense. Tell somebody next to you. 
don't make no sense. It don't make no sense. And I want that to sink in for a minute because truly, you know, without the proper spiritual understanding of life and death and God's purpose and plan, it don't make no sense. Why bother if all you're going to do is die? You know, I remember myself as a, as a young man walking to school, amen, to my elementary school. I think I was about the first or second grade, and I'm, I'm walking to school, and I got a stick in my hand. But I'm, I'm thinking at that young age, there's got to be more to life than this, to live and to get a job and get married and have kids and, and die. There's got to be more. It's got to make more sense. So, you know, I, I, I was thinking about what he said. It don't make no sense. But if we really understood the spiritual purpose of it all, it begins to make perfect sense. It begins to become a, 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 a spiritual foundation that helps us to understand how it all becomes a beautiful symphony of creation and redemption and relationship. It becomes a symphony, amen, that, that prepares us for eternity. It's a, it's, it's a dance that we go through in, in life, learning what it really is supposed to be about. And in that dance, we, got, we need to come to a place that we change partners, and we stop dancing with the world, amen, and we begin to dance with God to the music of his symphony. Because we all want to hear the heavenly choir when the time comes. And, but we got to get to a place before we shut our eyes for the last time that we know, that we know it makes sense. Many people have died without making any sense of any of this. But for a child of God, it's imperative. It's, it's imperative that, that we understand the purpose for life is not to live this life. The purpose for this life is not to, to be here. The purpose of this life is to prepare for the eternal. And if we don't understand that, we're going to scratch and strive and fight and do all this to hold on to something we can't hold on to. We're trying to hold on to something that the word of God tells us is going to perish with the usings. It's going to burn up. But we're so focused on the new this and the new that, whether it's a person, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a husband, a wife, whether it's a car or how we're focused on that so much, we don't have time. We don't make time. We don't take time to prepare for the real life that he wants us to live. It gets to become a problem when we talk about Jesus, because I don't have time right now for Jesus. I'm trying to get this done, and I'm trying to get to this place, and I'm, I'm trying to make that, and then I can take time for Jesus. 
not many of us may have 90 years to work it out. They're dying young these days. And I don't know how much time I got left, and I don't know how much time you have left, but I pray to God that in the time that we have, we'll get it sorted out. So that it does begin to make sense. God is not a cruel God. He's a loving God. And I often say he gives us this life as a dress rehearsal. Amen. So that we can prepare ourselves for the real life that he wants to give us. But see, what good does it do to have a rehearsal if you're not going to be there and show up at showtime. See, this is, this is, I'm, let, me, let me drop you, you know, I say that, but I have to say this, this is not a rehearsal. We don't get a second do-over. We don't get a second chance to get it right. So we need to get it right like we watched our patriot here get it right make it up in his mind that you know what is this all I'm going to pass down and I have to ask myself you have to ask yourself is this all I'm going to pass down to my children yeah I might leave them some money in the bank but that ain't going to save this so I may leave him with a nice car, a house, a famous name. That ain't going to save this soul. I want to give him something that's going to last forever. I want to give him something that's going to transcend this world and this life. If you would just turn with me just briefly over to the book of John. Because I got to ask this question, you know, when the time comes, where are you going to go? You know, so, but in, in the book of John, you know, I want to start in the sixth chapter, amen, and looking at, beginning at verse 47, there's so much in this, this, this passage, I don't think I'm going to have time to really bring it out, but starting at verse 47, amen, Jesus is speaking here because the letters are in red in my King James Bible, but it says this, he said, verily, verily. Anytime Jesus says verily, verily, or maybe in your version it says surely, surely, or truly, truly. But anytime he repeats that phrase, he's saying, pay attention. He's really saying, I, I want you to get this. Don't miss this. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Say that with me. Everlasting life. And we all sitting here know that this life is not everlasting. We got proof of that in so many ways. This life, so when Jesus said, if you believe on me, have everlasting life, I am that bread of life. You say he's the bread of life. He's the bread of life. Let me let me let me show you in, in, in John. Keep keep your place there and just back up to the 33rd verse in that same chapter. He says these words. He said, For the bread of God is he which came down from heaven 
and giveth life. Who came down from heaven? Jesus. To do what? Give us life. Amen. But he's, he's very clear here. He said, and giveth life unto the world. So until Jesus came, there was no real life. I mean, we're living and existing in this state, but he's talking about something that's far greater. It's something that, that transcends this, this physical, this natural body that he really wants to bring into the world and make it available to everybody. So he's, he's looking and he's saying these things. And he said, and then, then said they unto him, Lord, evermore the Give us this bread. Now, they, 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 they want the bread that he's talking about. And, and look what Jesus said. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And I think about that. I am the bread of life. He said, he that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Wow. He said, if you come to me, Receive me. You'll never hunger. And if you if you you drink, he said, if you believe on me, you'll never thirst. So first of all, he, he's looking at two things: hunger and thirst. And I'm, I'm giving you these these texts because I, I got to get back you know, to where we were, you know. But I'm, I'm looking at this. He said, "But I say unto you that ye also have seen me." And believe not. He said, I'm right here. He's saying to us today, my word is right here. You've seen it. You've read it. You've taught it. You've heard it. You've written, but you don't believe it. Because we can push it to the side too easily. And even in John 1 1, he says this, you know, again, showing who Jesus is as I get into the rest of the passage. But he says this, in the beginning was the word. Because what? He created, then God created everything by what? The word of his mouth. He says, so in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Yeah. Drop down to verse 14 in First John, I mean, John 1, he says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's letting him know Jesus is the word. Jesus is life. Jesus yeah. Is the truth. So going back to John 6, amen, in verse 49, he says this, our father did eat, I mean, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. Manna represents the fruit of this life, of this life, you know what I'm saying? This life. It represents what sustains us in this world, in this existence. He said they ate that but they died. They did. He said, this is the bread which came down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread and came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, talking about himself, he said, if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Now, Jesus is talking about beyond this natural. He said, if you eat of this bread, you're going to live forever. Now, the problem is today, a lot of people are snacking on it. Snack on it on Sunday. You know, and they go out and eat the manna all the rest of the week. But 
we got to get to this bread because this is the only bread that's going to give us eternal life. I don't care who you are. He said, he, he lets us know, live. Hey, how many of us want to live forever? Now, he's not talking about stopping at this point. This is just a transition. Preparing us for what he really created us for. He said, and the bread that I will give him is my flesh. Uh, no, no, that, that sounds kind of weird, don't it? Which I will give for the life of the world. He said, I'll give my flesh for the life of this world. But remember, what was, it, what was Jesus? He's the word. So what he's talking about, his flesh, is he's talking about the word, which I'm going to give to the whole world for life. But look, 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 but the Jews didn't catch it. Look what they said in verse 52. But the Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Still thinking carnally. And that's going on all the way up to today. Still thinking carnally. That's not working for me, people say. It don't take all that. How many of us have ever heard that before? Let me go a step further. How many of us have said that before? It don't take all that. Oh, we in the room. We in the room. Mm, yeah, we in the room. Mm, help us, Lord. He said, how can he give us? Then Jesus said to them, verily, verily, he said, now pay attention again. I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. He said, unless you, because he's talking about, he ain't talking about this natural life. He's talking about you got no spiritual life in you unless you eat his flesh, which is his word. And unless you drink his blood, which is believing his word. It's not enough to know the word. It's not enough to quote the word. But we got to believe the word. And when we believe the word, now we got life. Amen. Because when we believe it, it's going to change our behavior. It's going to change our outlook. It's going to change our decisions. It's going to change us completely. Hmm. Just what he's letting them know. He said, whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. There we go. Hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He says, well, if you have this, though you die in the natural life, you still have eternal life. He said, I'm going to raise you up in the last day, but you got to get it in you before you lay it down. Got a dad had it in him before he laid it down. We got to make that choice. We got to make that decision. If you want to follow his example. This is what made him different. He ate the word. He drank the blood because he believed the word enough to make his stand on the word. We have a living example before us that has passed on to us. And I say living because he said he has eternal life. See, we're mourning the death of the body. Amen. But when his spirit departed, the body, that spark that we all have that animates this meat suit that we, we protest and we protect and we do all this for, we, we prop it up and primp it up and do all. But when your spirit leaves it, it's just an object. 
no life, no spark. But if you get this word in you, now you're set up for the rest of the story. See, this was just the beginning, amen. And we look at this, he said, my body, is my flesh, eat this word, amen. And then 56, he said, he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. As I live, as the living Father has sent me, I live by the Father. So that, I mean, so he that eateth me, we're still talking about the word. See, see, they was tripping because they were thinking about the natural flesh. Amen. You know, it, it, it just didn't make no sense. But if they get in the spiritual mindset and the spiritual understanding, it makes all the sense in the world. He said, he that eateth me, mm, even he shall live by me. Uh-oh. In other words, he's saying, if you get this word in you, you're going to live by this word if we get it right. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Why is he being so repetitious? Because he wants us to get it. You know, he wants to drive the point home, amen, not just to them back then, but to us now, amen, that that if we eat this bread, we're going to live forever. See, and we already know that's not in this, in this form. These things say he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, hear this part because it's relevant even today. Many, therefore, of his disciples, his disciples, not those unlearned people, those that didn't know him, but his, those that were following him, you know, and, and, and trusting and believe. But when he began to really lay it down, it said many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? How many times have I talked to people, or maybe you've talked to people, and you try to give them the word, and what do they tell you? I don't want to hear that right now. Come on. I don't want to hear that right now. All things work together. I don't want to hear that right now. That's too hard for me to hear that because I want to be in this place. And if I accept what the word says that I have to forgive, I have to let go, I have to love, I don't want to hear that right now. That's too hard. That's what he's saying. And he said, you know what? And when Jesus knew it in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this offend you? Because he knows he's laying down the word. He's, he's not, you know, he's, he's laying down some meat for them to grasp. And he said, does this offend you? What, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? He said, now, what if you see me go up? Is that going to offend you? You know, what's, what's the deal here? He's trying to help them understand. He said, now, look what he said. He goes back to what I mentioned a moment ago. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The spirit. Your spirit, my spirit, but most of all, his spirit. That quickeneth, that makes this, this, this body animated and so that we can operate in this fallen world. But he says, it's the spirit that quickeneth the flesh profiteth nothing. 
while we're pampering the flesh and trying to do everything for the flesh, trying to, he said, the flesh profits you nothing. I'm just reading you the word. Okay? That's what I wanted to get from the word. He said, the the words that I speak unto you, the words that I, you remember how he said, man shall not live by bread alone? Because we like the bread. We like the manna. We can go out there and get some. But he said, you shouldn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every word of life that comes out of his mouth is for our salvation, for our eternity, for our turning and changing. Amen. So that we can really receive what he has for us. And we won't miss out on a thing. He said, those words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you, and like I said, it comes down to today, that believe not. Some say, well, that's not me. I believe. Well, how come you ain't doing it? How come you ain't applying it? How come you ain't living it? If you believe it, belief requires action. Knowledge really don't require you to do anything. You know? Until you do something with it. You know, I, I I could know your phone number, but until I push the buttons, knowing it ain't gonna do nothing. Knowing God said thou shalt not kill ain't gonna do nothing until I get to a place that I wanna choke somebody out. And he said, I can't do it. He said, I gotta love them, I gotta forgive them. But see, we gotta get to that place. Understand they are worthy, they are life. But he says, some of you believe not now I can't believe something that I haven't heard you follow what I'm saying so he just cut to the chase say you heard it you know it you just don't believe it you've seen the miracles I've done (laughs) you know the chains that I brought but you just don't believe it you know, and, and he got to get to us, to us. We got to get to that place and say, Lord, I'm eating of the bread and I'm believing. Yeah. Yeah. Because why? This is going to set us free. He said, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and whom should betray him. And, you know, he, he, he's talking about, you know, I, I chose the 12 of you and one of you is a, a sinner. One of you. I mean, because he's talking about Judas Iscariot, but he's also saying to us, I already know. Some people say, well, if he already knows, then why do I got to do anything? The fact is, he knows what you're going to do, but you still got to make the decision. He sees the end from the beginning. That does not change your outcome. You change your outcome. I change my outcome. He just has foreknowledge of what it's going to be. But his knowing that doesn't change your ability to choose him. Because he already knows. Now, So we got to ask ourselves, do I know what I'm going to do? Do I know where my choices are going to land me? Where am I going to go? Because I can... 
put all my energy into this life and into this world and this existence and pay no attention or very little attention to the eternal side of life, the spiritual side of life, because it's getting in my way. I can do all that. I think I can still make it in because God knows my heart. I have to agree with you on one thing. He knows your heart. And he ain't going to accept all the crap. He knows it. But that don't mean he's got to accept it. Because he knows his sacrifice that he's made for us. He knows the opportunity that he's laid before us. He knows that he, meant that he said this world's going to be published throughout the earth before he comes. He knows that he's done everything he can to help you make the right decisions and me to make the right decisions. But yet it is still up to us to exercise our will. Yes. Eh, don't take all that. You go ahead and take your chances. <laughs> I'm not going to play Russian roulette with this Hallelujah. one That's opportunity right. that I have to spend eternity with God. I'm not going to do it. Don't make no sense. He said in 65, I'm almost done. But in, in 65, he said, therefore, I say unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given him unto him of the father. Now, say, well, see, see, he's picking and choosing. No, because the scripture says, no, he's given, he's not willing that any man should perish. So everybody's been given an opportunity. But see, the, the, the key here is he's calling us, he's pulling on us, but we've got to make the decision to say yes. We've got to make the decision. See, it, it, the, 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 the thing I, I love here is, that he said, you haven't chosen me, but I chose you. Now, you see, now it's telling about if someone chooses you to be on their team and you choose not to and they go on to win the championship, whose fault is it? Right? I mean, you can't say, hey, you chose me, so hey, here I am. Give me my ring. No. <laughs> you, you made this. I chose you, but you didn't want to play on this team. So therefore, you don't earn the ring. You had the opportunity. Right? So tell someone next to you, you got the opportunity. What you going to do with it? You know, we all have, as long as we have breath in our bodies, we have the opportunity to choose God. To choose his ways. As long as we have breath in our body, I don't care what you've done, as long as you've got breath in your body. You might be laying flat on your back and can't do nothing else but say, help me, God. But you have the opportunity. Don't ever let anyone say, oh, it's too late for you. No. No. You have, but don't, don't, don't wait for that deathbed confession either. I think I better throw that in there because, you know, well, if I got the opportunity all the way, I'm going, you know, you might think, okay, I got this plan, that plan, and walk out there and get hit by a car. Your plans just went out the window. And now you got to live with your choices or die with your choices in the natural. But I look at this, I'm saying, oh, my goodness. From that time, I hear this. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Because the saying was too hard. They had to do stuff that didn't fit how they felt. 
It was too hard to take on all these spiritual requirements so that you can get eternity handed to you. It was too hard to, to miss out on a little bit of something in this little short period of time. Me and Pastor Lynn were talking the other night you know, about, about these bodies and how that when God first made Adam and Eve, we were designed to live. I mean, to live. I mean, the oldest man in the Bible was Methuselah. Amen. 969 years. 969 years. And you can go, you know, through the course of those that lived hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But when God looked down in the sixth chapter of Genesis and said, the, the wickedness and the evilness of, is in man's heart continually, he said, I won't strive with man anymore. He said, their days will be 120. He cut it down. Because I, I believe we were designed to live a full year with God. That's a thousand years. One day with the Lord is a thousand. But I believe we were designed originally for the thousand year run. But God said they're so wicked and evil. If I leave them around a thousand years, they're going to tear up everything. So I'm, I'm going to limit their lives down to 120 years and see what they do with that. And we making a mess out of 120. You know, he, he cut it on down. He said, no, that's too long. They're too evil. It's too wicked, so I, I, gotta, I, I, I can't strive with that one joker for nine, 900 years. So, so he cut it down, amen. So I'm, I'm thinking 120 is about right. That's plenty of time for us to figure it out, I hope. But we got to get it figured out. Mm-mm. Help us, Lord. But he said, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They turned their back. I mean, he's not talking about people who didn't know him. He's not talking about people who weren't excited about his words and his sayings and his miracles. And he, he, no, he, they, they were there. They were his disciples. But when the word got serious, when he said this is going to take some real true commitment and sacrifice on everybody's part, they walked away. They walked away. So what he does, he, in 67, he looks and he said, then said Jesus unto the 12. Now, this is the ones he chose to start. His he said, will ye also go away? So you got to ask yourself, well, I, am I also going to walk away? He said, will you, will you go away? Then Peter, I, I, I love Simon Peter because he was always quick to speak. You know, then, then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure. See, this will set them apart. We believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, we've settled it. You are who you said you are. You're the only one that's got the words of eternal life. So I can go out there and follow this person and that person. And I can go after this and that. But you're the only one. The only one. And he's still the only one. 
that has the words of eternal life. So if you're satisfied with just this fickle 120 years or less, so be it. But as a young boy, as I told you, walking to elementary school, it dropped him. There's got to be more to it than this. Because like Elias said, without that understanding, this just don't make sense. But when we have that understanding, now it's up to you what you're going to do with it. It's up to me what I'm going to do with it for the rest of the days that he has allotted for me in this life. I want to be like, like Paul when he spoke because I'm wrapping this up in my last passage and when we're going to pray. But I'm coming out of the Amplified Bible in 2 Timothy. Pastor Linda was sharing this with me. She said, oh, this is a good passage here. You know, you, you think about it. You know, so we, 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 we teamed up on this one. You know. but, but look what it says in the Amplified. It says, for I am ready. Huh? Look what, now, I want you all to put yourself in this place. Okay, or imagine you're not in this place. I don't know which one it is, but he said, I am already about to sacrifice, or to be sacrificed. My life is about to be poured out as a drink offering. Yeah. Come on now. Pour me out, Lord. The time of my spirit's release from the body is at hand, and I will soon go free. <coughs> Listen at that. We think this is it. But the Apostle Paul had a better understanding. He said, when I get up out of here, that's when I'm going to be free. That's when, I'm, you know, my, my departure, I'm ready to go. He said, I have fought a good, worthy, honorable, and noble fight. I have finished my race. I have kept firmly held the faith. I kept it. And it wasn't always easy. Read some of his writings about the things he went through. But he held on to it. I mean, he held on to the faith firmly. Amen. He said, as to what remains, henceforth there is laid up for me the victor's crown of righteousness for being right with God and doing right. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, hear that word judge. See, people don't like to hear it when they talk about judge, but God is a judge. Amen. He said, the righteous judge will award to me and recompense me on that great day and to me, oh, not to me only, but also to all those who have loved and yearned for and welcomed his appearing, his return. Mm. Think about it. Are we ready? Ask yourself. Where will you go? Because, you know, we can get into that, but I don't have time. But we got to ask ourselves, you know, we all going to make the exit. But when the Lord calls, where are you going to go? Where are you going to be found? Because you can't take nothing with you. Only what you do for Christ only what you do you might be famous you might rise to the presidency of the United States everybody might love you you might have mountains full of money 
Amen. You, you, I, you, you might achieve all your goals and then some. But if you don't get this while you're still breathing, it don't make sense. So let's get it. If you've been dipping and dabbing, let's get it because tomorrow's not promised. If you've been straddling the fence, get off the fence and get on the right side. Tomorrow, not promised. We got to get it and get it right. It's not about me. It's not about anybody else. It's about your relationship with God. And let me drop a hint on you. Someone trying to call me. But let me drop a hint on you. Just because you got it in your mind a certain way, it still got to line up with the word of God. I hit the wrong button. I have to call him back later. But you've got to line it up with the word. Don't play God soft. Hmm? Don't do it. I'm warning you, the Bible tells me he is a jealous God. He is not going to take second place to, to your feelings, your thoughts, your plans, your emotions. He's not going to take second place to putting you heaven. He said, I, I'm trying to stop. But he, 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 he tells us, what is the first commandment? Thank you. Thou shalt have no other gods. First thing out the gate. It's a persistent caller. First thing out, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Before you get to any of the rest, he said, put me first. Now y'all can cut it and slice it and do whatever you want. But he said what he meant, and he meant what he said. And he's not going to change it for you or for me. And I thank him for that because we need something that's absolute in this world today. We need something that's concrete in this world, something that the the cancel culture can't cancel out. Hmm? They can't legislate that away. They can't pass a law to say, well, you don't have to do this. No, that's the word of God, and it's going to stand. And I pray that we eat his flesh and we drink his blood and we receive the life that he really has in store for us. Let's stand. I want to encourage you to continue to share your love and thoughts and memories you know, we will post a, um, a link to the website that they set up for Dad so we can upload pictures and share thoughts and memories and so forth. But let's continue to, you know, take in and soak in the legacy that he left behind. Amen. And, I, 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 you know, I don't know exactly how it's going to be when the time comes, but I'm looking forward to being reunited with Amen. 
I'm looking forward, amen, when the Lord speaks, he said, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and they that are alive and remain, that be us. See, I, I, you know, I, I hear everybody saying, well, they're together now, and this, uh, and all that is comforting. It really is. But they ain't gone nowhere yet. I got to be with the word. He said, the dead in Christ know nothing. The dead in, the dead in Christ are sleeping. They're asleep until God calls them home. He said, Jesus told us in his word, he said, ain't no man entered in heaven yet. Ain't no one there yet. I just got to correct some of our theology. We still waiting. But see, to them and to you when you die, it's not going to be like, man, how long is it going to take? No, it's going to be, you know, I had an operation last January and, and, you know, I was under for six hours. But to me, it was like I went to sleep and woke right back up. No passage of time. No memory, no dreaming, no sleep. I mean, just out. And that's the way our daily departed ones are now. They have, the Bible teaches us the dead know nothing. They don't even know they're dead. Think about that. They just, like someone just hit the pause button on their life because, you know, the dead in Christ have what? Everlasting life. So it's like someone just hit the pause button and they're waiting for the pause to be taken off. You know, you ever listen to, see, dad was, he, well, he, he even till yeah. now, he got a little box, he said, put that box over here. Yeah. Yeah. He got a box full of old cassette tapes. Yeah. And he got one of them little square, little rectangle, you know, with the little red button and the record button. And, and he put them old tapes in there and turn them on and be listening to the mighty clouds of joy. And, you know, then he put some Bible tapes in there. Be like, you know, it's like you put a tape in, you hit that pause button, and that tape will stay right there at that same exact location until you unpause it. It'll pick up right where it left off. And guess what? The dead in Christ, when Christ comes to call us home, we're going to pick up right where we left off, worshiping him. But we're going to be in a glorified body. It's going to be a whole change and different. But if you don't get it right, if you don't eat the bread, if you don't drink the blood, it's going to be a stop. Because it's all over. You're going to see the judgment. And after that, I don't even want to go into it. I don't want to depress you. You know, I don't want to depress you. But I do want to see you saved. Let's buy our heads.